This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell. Thanks to John Walsh for the last two hours. I'll be with you until 10 o'clock when Edward Hayden and the Saturday Show team will join you to bring you through until 12 and lots more for the rest of the day. Good news for many business people yesterday with the further loosening of COVID restrictions, paving the way for a quicker return to a new normal where you'll still have to keep your distance, wash your hands and stay vigilant to keep COVID-19 at bay. It's another big day for business locally as the long-talked-about one-way traffic system for Kilkenny comes into operation. So between now and 10 o'clock, we'll hear about a business where the idea came to the founder from something she heard on KCLR. Following the news last week of 60 new jobs for Kilkenny from healthcare giant UPMC, we'll talk to David Byrne, Senior Vice President of UPMC International. And we'll be visiting one of this region's most iconic hotels to hear about how preparations for reopening are going ahead of restrictions being loosened on the tourism and hospitality sector on June 29th next. But first... During the past week, the Reuters Digital News Report was published across 40 countries. It's a very important piece of research and a fascinating insight into the media behaviour of consumers and the state of news, journalism and information in society, which as we know, plays a very important role at times such as the pandemic that we're in at the moment. The report has got an Irish edition, which for the sixth year in a row uh, has been funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. And I'm delighted to be joined on the programme to talk about this by Michael O'Keefe, who is the Chief Executive of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, John. How are you this morning? Listen, before we get into talking about the Reuters uh, report, perhaps for people who mightn't know, tell us a bit about the BAI and your role in the broadcasting and indeed in the wider media ecosystem. Okay, the, the BAI, the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland, the BAI, as we're probably known, known uh, for short, is uh, the regulator of uh, all radio and television in Ireland now. So we have a number of different functions. I mean, obviously... The one that's most important to you is licensing, so that we, we the license that the KCLR would have would come from ourselves. And any of the other commercial or community uh, stations around the country, they'd all have licenses and contracts with, with us. We then have a compliance function, which is, looks at just how, how the people comply with the terms of, of their contract, so that they that if, if KCLR is saying that it's, it's going to be doing a certain type of programming, uh, the compliance function ensures that it does that. And then I suppose we have a number of other, we have a research element, and that's where, if you like, the Reuters report that you've mentioned, that that comes into play there. And I suppose another one that's very uh, probably dear to your heart and indeed to others is that we have a, we have a funding uh, uh, grant system, which we, we provide funds for making programs. And uh, as you know, uh, the local, the commercial radio st- sector would have, would have received funding from us for the uh, coverage of their COVID-19 uh, over the, the, the course of the last couple of months and indeed the next couple of months and we would have allocated funding on that in, in the most recent past. So they're the kind of, the, they're the main, main functions that we have uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's always uh, interesting and uh, varied. Uh, 
and the whole landscape, Michael, has changed enormously, uh, you know, since independent stations such as KCLR uh, and WLR and others first came along uh, towards the late 80s. The regulation uh, framework has changed and developed. It was originally the Independent Radio and Television Commission. It's now broadening out. Broadcasting has changed enormously. Yes, and, and I thought the first, the, one of the big changes was when the BAI itself was established, which was in 2009, because that was the first time that the, the public broadcasters, RTE as, 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 and TG Cahar indeed, they came under regulation for the first time, and we have a, a, a regulatory review function with both of those services, and that, that, that was new. But I thought the big change, John, that's that coming down the tracks, um, which hasn't happened yet, but but there the, is in the programme for government, and indeed was was the heads of bill launched by the minister before the election in January, uh, is the establishment of a media and online safety commission, and that's going to uh, as well do two things. One is online safety, which is is, is a topic that is, is very much at the centre of, of 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 many political and other discussions. But the other is that the we will, we will, for the first time, have regulation of the, I suppose, they've known, been known as the digital media giants, the likes of Facebook, the likes of Google, Twitter, all of those will come in, uh, under some form of regulation under this new regime. So it's one of the tasks that the new government, when, when it's established, will will have to put in place as a priority because there's a European, uh, there's a requirement at a European level that these, these companies will now be regulated. Because I suppose to fill people in, the Facebook and Googles are not regulated at the moment. They've been relying on um, self-regulation or everybody else has been relying on self-regulation uh, of them. And that's something that you looked into. You, you released a report, the code code check report, I think, which looked at uh, how they were getting on. Tell us about that. That was out a couple of weeks ago. It was. We did. In fact, it was the second. We did two reports, uh, John. We did one last year, which was on, it looked at how they were, there's a, there's a, I suppose, where it comes from is that there's a code that they say they will comply with, uh, and, and that was done at a, uh, introduced at a European level about how they cover different things. First one we looked at was, was political, the, 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 how they covered the uh, European elections last year, and um, there's a lot of areas where they, they, they fell down that, that they didn't, uh, you know, fact-checking and things of that nature were, were, were questioned. And then the second one, which is a more general um, uh, piece of work that we did, which is the one you mentioned, uh, code check, that, was, that came out in the last number of months. And I suppose what, what it does say is that while, while they have, to some extent, the, self, the self-regulatory dimension has been embraced to some extent, there definitely is a need for a lot more to be done. And I suppose that's where the you know, bringing them into the regulatory sphere will be will be important over the next. I, I mean, you you would hope to see this piece of legislation coming through over the next six to twelve months. Michael, um, let's talk about the Reuters report. Very interesting. Um, briefly, it's showing that a huge number of people get their news and information from online. But I suppose uh, the trust is in traditional media such as local radio, local newspapers, national radio, national TV, and so on. It is, and I suppose in these times, it, it, that, that's, uh, that, that's very interesting because, I, I mean, obviously over the last number of, of months, you know, the whole news agenda and, and the whole, with the COVID-19 crisis and, and how, how that has come about. Now, the, 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 I, I don't know, but I would say that the, the survey, interesting enough, was done just before, I think, that the, the survey period of January and February this year, so it would have been just done before the, um, the, 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 the impact of COVID took place. But it does give, give a whole range of, of, of areas where, you know, traditional media um, is very strong. It's very strong in trust. I think that is very important. An object. I mean, interesting. We we require, as you know, that you, you guys must be 
objective and balanced in the way you do news. And uh, the majority of Irish respondents show preference for that. They, they, they want to get their news, like 56% of, of Irish people want to get news from sources that don't have a particular point of view, that they know that they'll, they'll get they'll get both sides of an argument. Mm. And declaring uh, an interest, I'm involved in KC Law. KC Law is, is a, a radio station regulated by you guys, but putting that aside, generally speaking, um, traditional quote-unquote media do pretty well on the impartiality side of things. They do very strong. I mean, and, and there, there is the, I mean, trust is, I mean, that, that's the one, that, that, that's some very good stuff on that in relation to how, how, how you compare the, the trust to the traditional media with the, 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 the lack of, the less trust, I won't say lack of trust, but certainly less trust in relation to uh, social media. The other area is, is on, on, on misinformation. Uh, and a lot of that is to do. I mean, we we know we know that uh, as fake news and the internet, and that's you know that there's a, a very high levels of concern about that, which again just in in contrast to I suppose the trust that you find on the traditional media, um, you know that's that's very important. This year as well, John. Again, for interesting for you, for, for you and your listeners, we did look at local news um, for the first time, and just again. The importance of you know the the, 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 I suppose the results of the, the Irish news consumers that they're very strong interest and a stronger relationship with local news than other parts of of, of the world. Like I think we're at fifty percent uh, compared to say thirty one percent in the UK uh, under under in the in the forty percent in other other areas. So there is a, there is very much a, a, a you know a demand and an interest in local news. Both both radio and newspapers. I would have to say local newspapers again would be. Michael, uh, that's all very interesting. It's a fantastic report available through the BAI uh, website and I'd urge anybody with an interest in media in its contribution to society and in the media business to have a look. Michael, thanks very much for joining us this morning on the programme. Thanks, John. Good to talk to you. Bye. Talk to you soon. That was Michael O'Keefe, Chief Executive of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland, telling us about the Reuters uh, digital news report. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the South largest independent accountancy practice, www.omf.ie. The heart of two counties. It's almost 21 minutes past nine o'clock. John Purcell with you on the bottom line until 10 and some very important information there for us all about uh, the loosening of restrictions and how to keep safe in the time ahead because we're in the midst of a pandemic and a major health emergency all around the world. And speaking of health, it's also Men's Health Week this week. Of course, the focus on men very much with tomorrow being Father's Day. International Men's Health Week has run from the 15th and finishes off on the 21st. And during the week, to find out more about this initiative, I spoke to Dr. Noel Richardson, who's uh, head of the National Centre for Men's Health, which is located in IT Carlo. I started by asking Noel to tell us more about Men's Health Week. Good morning, John. Um, Men's Health Week runs every year at this time, usually the third week in June and the leading to Father's Day. And really it's, it's to take stock uh, and have a week that's dedicated to highlighting different aspects of men's health. So, so for example, the last couple of years, there's a different team uh, highlighted each day. It might be physical activity, it might be alcohol, smoking, you know, the different aspects of health that impact on, on men's lives. 
and it's coordinated by the Men's Health Forum in Ireland, which is an all-Ireland body, um, advocacy body for men's health, that works with over 70 partner organisations. So while there's, an, there's generally a national kind of focus or a national campaign, Men's Health Forum in Ireland encourages other organisations, the likes of the Irish Cancer Society, the Irish Heart Foundation, Men's Health Ireland, and lots of other organisations, to take on a different aspect of men's health week and different team and to, and to work with its uh, organisations and members to, to promote different aspects of men's health. And what's so the really team this year, though? It's to, it's to highlight men's health as something that's important because I guess traditionally men have tended not to be as proactive about their health as they might be. Um, and especially in the lead into Father's Day, it's to, it's to highlight that men are, are a value and you know that we need to take more heed, I suppose, of our health uh, and, and not wait till something goes wrong before we start doing something about it. And men's health during COVID, Noel, any particular learnings from that? What about the, the health prospects of men versus women, well, for it's example? Really interesting, John, yeah. I mean, overall, and I'm talking not just about Ireland here, the, the incidence of COVID is generally similar for men and women, but the mortality rates are much higher in men. So 57%, 57% of deaths worldwide are among men. Um, I know there's a lot of reasons underlying this, but a couple of the key reasons would be that men have more underlying conditions, especially what we call non-communicable diseases, things like cardiovascular diseases, diabetes, respiratory diseases. So because men have a higher prevalence of these conditions, their capacity to fight COVID is, is impaired. And this is also linked to lifestyle behaviours. So men tend to drink more, they tend to smoke more. So those lifestyle behaviours also predispose men to being at increased risk. So COVID really is a, is a, is a, is a good, is a timely reminder that as men, we, we, you know, we need to think about these things and think about kind of lifestyle choices that you know, have a more negative bearing on our health. Yeah, and of course, a, a big part of people's lifestyle is, of course, work, because uh, it occupies a huge amount of people's time. And work has changed over the last number of months with COVID. An awful lot of people working from home now. What kind of health challenges does that pose? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, uh, things change dramatically o- overnight, really. Um, and it poses challenges and opportunities, I think. Um, some of the challenges are, say, people with young families and trying to combine you know, their work with, with caring responsibilities, you know, with schools being off and creches closed. That's been a huge challenge. It's also a challenge for people living, in, say, in inner city areas or living in apartments where, where, you know, where space is a challenge. So, um, you know, and uh, there are some practical considerations then as well about not being in the workplace and having to try and recreate a work environment in your home environment. That, that, that poses challenges. But I think it also has, has, has thrown up opportunities you know, for people that have been involved in commuting long distances, it's freed up an awful lot of time. And I suppose at a more kind of philosophical level, it's been an opportunity for, for people to take stock and kind of re- reconfigure their roles beyond work, you know, and to really maybe think about what, what's important and what's of value in their lives. And um, say so for men, I think it's an opportunity to be more engaged as fathers, you know, particularly men who work, commute long distances or work long hours. Uh, and we've also seen great examples of volunteerism during COVID, you know, 
GA, for example, have done great work in supporting communities, you know, delivering meals to vulnerable elderly people, for example. Um, and what I like is that there seems to be a restoration of metal, that kind of sense of community spirit has been rekindled. We've, we've seen great, say, acts of solidarity at funerals during, so, you know, lockdown where social distancing didn't allow people to congregate, but we saw guards of honour form, forming, you know, to acknowledge people who had passed away. So certainly there are challenges, but there are also opportunities. And I'd like to think that when we, as we come out of COVID, that we'll build on some of these learnings and, you know, maybe reconfigure our lives, taking stock of some of these learnings that we can take. Finally, it's some practical issue, or, or a practical issue, Noel. I've come across many people who are now working from home and they say one of the things that they find is that they're actually sitting down more at a desk for long and concentrated periods of time. What advice would you give to people like that? What kind of exercise should they do during the day and maybe to unwind at the end of it? That's a really good point, John. And the first thing I think to, to highlight is that it's really not good for you to sit sit for extended periods. And studies have shown that if, even people who are, you know, engage in exercise a few times a week and uh, even vigorous exercise, even if they sit, if they, if they sit for, say, for hours on end, that can undo some of the benefits of the exercise. So the, 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 the advice is to interrupt sitting as much as possible. Even if it means standing up and walking around the room for 10 seconds and sitting back down again, that, that is much better for your health than sitting for extended periods. Um, and I, I think because people are working from home and not commuting, that does throw up increased time during the day. So, I mean, it's a really good idea to have a couple of bouts of, you know, whether it's walking or running or cycling or whatever it is people like to do, to use the time they might have spent commuting to work um, with short bouts of exercise. That's Noel Richardson there. Dr. Noel Richardson, who's head of the National Centre for Men's Health, which is actually beside us here in IT, Carlo. Uh, and he was telling us about Men's Health Week, which is running all this week. And uh, just a reminder, if you're working from home and you're sitting at a desk, or in many cases, maybe your kitchen table, uh, or even in a cupboard, as many people are, do not forget to get up and about and stretch yourself. Moving on from men's health to the health, I suppose, of the tourism and hospitality centre or sector, greatly challenged over the last number of months, but great excitement in the sector with the reopening on the 29th of June and locally uh, tourism and hospitality, huge contributors to the economies of Carlo and Kilkenny. During the week, I popped into the New Park Hotel and I met with Paul Bean, who's general manager. Great uh, home of activity round there as people are putting all the social distancing measures in place. So I had a chat with Paul and I started by asking him how it's been over the last couple of months for everyone involved in the New Park Hotel. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on this morning. Um, it certainly has been a strange uh, three months and certainly unprecedented. We, we had to close literally overnight and um, you know let our staff go and you know shut down everything and I guess the the most challenging uh, things over the last three months is we we're a huge wedding venue so the biggest thing we had to do was to communicate with our bride and grooms and um, uh, reschedule for them I guess so obviously we we wanted them to get married and they wanted to get married but that was that was a huge part of what happened when we first 
closed down. That must have been very difficult on a human level because we know now, looking back, how traumatic the whole thing was. But yeah. cancelling people's weddings, yeah. pretty unprecedented in your It absolutely experience. was. And, you know, um, I guess most of the couples were uh, understanding because it, it was neither their fault or our fault. Um, and, you know, so we, we worked with them all and... and Thanks be to God, most of them are rescheduled now. Um, we, we don't have any weddings this summer as a, as a, as a result of it. Um, so, you know, we, we made sure that Sinead, who was our uh, wedding manager, was available Monday to Friday throughout the pandemic or the closure to speak to couples. And so that was really um, positive for them rather than ringing up and not being able to speak to somebody on the other end of the line, you know. And I guess we, we have been waiting for guidelines and still are waiting for guidelines. On, on weddings so you know even to this day we have them ringing up can I have my wedding in September you know how many people can I have can we dance so uh, I believe the guidelines will be issued today or tomorrow so we're all really eager to, to see what happens you know yeah uh, and it must be a big job closing down a property as big as the new park hotel it's never been closed for anything like this length maybe one or two days in, yes. in the in the history and, and it's a long history you're right yeah over 50 years here and the flins have been here for the last 10 years um, john and alan and i have to say uh, both mr flins have been extremely kind to us and to all the staff and and um helping us throughout the last couple of months but you you're right the car park is empty when, when do you ever see the new park car park empty um, you know it was hard to close down but you know at the moment we're planning to reopen so that's the message we want to get out there you know it was certainly strange we had a very small core team here um, during the closure we, we did take the opportunity to, to do a lot of maintenance around the hotel a lot of cleaning all the carpets have been cleaned all the curtains have been cleaned we've done a big job on the farm um, and and in particular the ferry trail so you know we're excited that we will be opening next week or on the 29th and to, to, to show everybody what we've done during closure yeah so it is back open as uh, accommodation uh, and also your restaurant um, I've heard it said that people want to make sure that hospitality it's hospitality that, that places hotels restaurants and so on they don't want them like hospitals you know I've been through the, the, the hotel isn't open yet but it seems pretty much like it has been before but you have a, a lot of safety measures in place tell us about all that that's right and I guess you hit the nail on the head there you know my biggest concern was pre pre reopening or pre being given a date was that we would lose the Cade Mila Falcha that we're known for here in Ireland and um, you know from meeting with all the managers they're all back to work now you know it really is a priority of ours that we don't lose that you know we, we, are, we are not reopening a hospital we are reopening a hotel so we, we, we can't lose that and in particular the new park is synonymous with service and hospitality throughout Kilkenny and, and the country so you know we, we have put a lot of measures into place we've developed our Because We Care programme um, um, throughout all the Finn hotels in fact and um, we're, we're st- we've started training on that and th- um, this week and next week uh, all the staff will be coming back so you know there's a lot involved in the Because We Care programme and you know i give you a few examples we have um, hand sanitisation units that self dispense throughout the hotel um, 
we will have in the bedrooms for instance where we've bought these special machines that you know um, disinfect the rooms and completely spray them and it gets sprayed when the guest checks out and re-sprayed then before the room is um ticked off by the accommodation manager and that's a very important <coughs> reassurance measure presumably because people are quite nervous Absolutely. in all settings you're right yeah and it's, it's important and people have asked when they're making their buggers what, what are you doing to make us safe so you know it's really important that we've developed this and you know we're not the only ones every hotel has, have, have, has have, had to do the same thing so our programme is just called Because We Care um, just to go back to the bedrooms obviously we've identified all the touch points that you know the light switches and the telephones and the remote controls so, you know, now we're, we're going to cover remote controls and little plastic covering. Um, for instance, in each bedroom, we're, we're going to have um, little uh, disinfectant wipes, you know, individually wrapped for, you know, for the added, added you know, knowledge or comfort of I can actually, I can wipe this myself now, you know. Um, so that's what's happening in the bedroom. In, in, in relation to, to our staff, um, we're giving them all little care packs that all have their own individual hand sanitizers and their own pens and masks. Um, now, we're not saying that masks are compulsory at the moment. If anybody feels uncomfortable, you know, working, they, they certainly can wear their masks. We're not going to um, tell them they can't. Um, so there's a lot going on, making sure that social distancing, my, my biggest concern over the last two days actually was the staff canteen and, you know, how, how we're going to manage that because we could have anything up to 100 people here on a day. So we need to make sure that they're socially distanced. And, you know, our staff offering was a buffet previously, but now we can't do buffets because it's shared utensils. Mm. So we, we've just been putting a whole plan into place how, how we're going to make sure that the staff are safe as well as our guests, because I guess if, if one of them gets sick, then you know it, it rolls forward and we have a problem then so uh, no visitors from overseas but the domestic market more uh, important than ever and the local market around Carlock Kenny really important for your restaurant for your bar and so on absolutely so you know yes you're right there are no there are no foreign travelers you know we have we had a lot of tourist series a lot of buses that would come in here they've all cancelled so it, it, it's really sad but you know we're very lucky here in the new park that we are so good at taking care of families so since the announcement was made that we would reopen we've seen a huge uh, increase in our bookings and inquiries and to be honest we will be busy for July and August and you know we can't wait to have the children back and the pool has been emptied for the last three months and now we've cleaned it and we're refilling it up and we're putting the finishing touches to the farm and the fairy trail and and making sure all the animals are back because they were away in in another farm for a while as well so we, we are lucky um, you know, and I guess the message that we want to give as well is that we are open for, you know, if if your birthday is coming up and you've missed it or you want to have a little family gathering, you know, please uh, get in contact with us. Uh, Paul, being their general manager of the New Park Hotel, telling us about the last couple of months and sounding very upbeat about the future there, which is good to hear. More good news. We'll be talking about UPMC's plans to create 60 new jobs in Kilkenny next. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.omf.ie At the heart of it all. Heart of it all. Of it all. KCLR. 
Casey Law indeed it's just coming up to 19 minutes to 10 o'clock John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock on the bottom line the programme for and about business now we're in very challenging times for business these days and, and we all know about the challenges on employment and the record numbers of people in the workforce who are uh, relying on state uh, support to maintain their employment so amidst it all last week it was very good news uh, that UPMC the University of Pennsylvania Medical Centre was to create 60 new jobs in Kilkenny over the next three years. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by David Byrne, who's Senior Vice President for UPMC International and MD of UPMC in Ireland. David, good morning. Morning, John. Great news uh, for Kilkenny. Uh, Tell us a bit about UPMC for people who may not know. UPMC are a US academic health system, a very large US academic health system and you know based out of uh, Pittsburgh and sort of many states across the US um, uh, up to 90,000 employees uh, 40 hospitals uh, 700 outpatient centres the numbers are very large we have our own health plan with 3.7 million members you know about three times the size of VHI and your uh, revenues, David, if I, your modesty is probably preventing or pre- uh, preventing you from talking about your revenues, $21 billion revenue. $21 billion, yes. As I said, a very large U.S. health system, an academic non-for-profit health system, very closely aligned with um, University of Pittsburgh, mm. uh, working on clinical trials, research, innovation. But... Um, that revenue is across our health plan, our hospital system, our international system, and um, also our UPMC Enterprises uh, Innovation and Commercial uh, Division as well. So it's a combined revenue, but yeah, they're big numbers, John. Uh, yeah. Two and a half thousand, you know, physicians, consultants as well. So all big numbers, but very local here in the southeast since 2006. Yeah, um, and you're, you're interested in developing your footprint around here, and um, this whole uh, announcement of the Technology Centre is a great step forward. But but you're not going to stop there. You want to develop and expand UPMC. We do. Yeah, we've um, we're here since 2006 in the southeast in Watford, uh, working with the HSE out of uh, Whitfield Clinic. It's, uh, it was acquired by UPMC in May 2018. It was in receivership, and we acquired it at that time two years ago. Uh, we've increased our employment there by 80 people, and we've invested in a new cat lab, continuing to invest in diagnostics. We've opened the second radiotherapy centre in uh, Cork. Um, just uh, last year and um, some recent announcements in Carlo we opened up an outreach centre we invested 600,000 euro there earlier this year and we have a very fine uh, outreach centre for clinical outpatient space um, we bought another hospital in Clane last November um, Clane General Hospital we now call that UPMC Kildare we have a lot of work to do there but it's um, a, a, a very exciting opportunity and really what we see is continuing investment into health infrastructure. We've invested and committed over 100 million in the last two years, and uh, that's all UPMC's money. And the recent announcements around um, other areas and investing in the community is we're the official healthcare partner of the GEA and GPA. Um, we agreed that last year, and as people in Kilkenny will know, we invested in uh, uh, renaming rights for Nolan Park. Indeed, UPMC, UPMC Nolan Park. Park, yeah. And, you know, that's uh, something that's uh, worth a, a lot of investment into the community over a 10-year period. And the recent announcement of the Global Technology Operations Centre is up to 60 jobs over three years. Um, all going well, John, will employ a lot more than that. But, you know, they're difficult times, and um, but we will have 20 people 
um, employed in Kilkenny in that centre by the end of the year. Uh, we've re- we appointed our Chief Information Officer earlier this week. Um, she's going to start on the 20th of July. She's a Kilkenny woman as well. And um, we are currently trying to fill 11 positions um, across eight different roles. We had over 500 applications, which was extremely encouraging for uh, jobs in the southeast and jobs in Kilkenny. And uh, we're screening those, and we'll be hopefully appointing those in the in a matter of weeks and months. And, yeah. Um, so it's all good, really. Yeah, and, and a hugely interesting time um, for healthcare. We've seen huge changes over the COVID uh, period and the pandemic uh, period. People, in my view, often tend to think of uh, the health centre in rather binary terms, either public or private. You've got an innovative uh, view on it. You're way open to collaboration and and uh, working with HSE as partners. Yeah, um, I, think every, I think we fall into a pit of de- trying to define the service of healthcare, um, and I think we fall into a, a chasm when we try to define um, the, the clinical pathways that patients need and require. Ultimately, I look at healthcare as a service. Um, it's there to serve the needs of a patient when the patient needs a particular type of care. And there are many, many different types of care, right through from primary care to GP care, optometrist care, you know, audiology, um, you know, MRIs and diagnostics, um, pathology, um, chemo, you name it, keep going before you even get in the door of a hospital. And, um, you know, many of these providers are are not public or private. Um, They're long-term charities, for example. Um, We have thousands of charities in Ireland that provide very good care in the home and out of the home. And I believe, really, that if we start looking at, um, you know, the patients um, for the needs they need, when they need them, and provide ease of access. It, it, it doesn't really matter, in my view, whether it's a, a nursing home that's owned by a private um, individual or a nursing home that's owned by the, the public service. Uh, ultimately, um, we should all strive to give better care, and we should strive to provide that service when it's needed. So I'm very focused, and we're very focused on healthcare as a service, and we're very focused on our relationship with the HSE over the last 13 years. In the radiotherapy centre, nobody is defined by who pays the bill. Nobody. Everybody gets access to our radiotherapy service and our recent cardiology service based on the clinical need. And we work very, very closely, hand in glove, with the Southeast Health Services on that, whether it's Luke's or Wexford General or South Tip or Kilcreen or, or Watford or beyond, and NACE and Port Leash Hospitals more recently with our hospital in Kildare. So, yeah, look, I think we have to all focus on this growing need for healthcare. We're getting older, people are living longer, um, we have a, a, a different type of patient mix. Um, you know, I think we should demand a, a service when we need it as a public. And I think um, organizations like yourselves working with the HSC or other private organizations, public to public, private to private, remembering as well that public hospitals in the southeast, we have four, five of them, including Kilcreen. Wouldn't it be great if they had an integrated health system among the public system? But they don't. If you go to Wexford General, a new medical record starts. If you go to Kilkenny, a new medical record starts. So you could end up with medical records everywhere. And that's not integrated care. So we should look at care coordination around the patient. And um, we believe we've done uh, a lot of work and heavy lifting on that around the radiotherapy oncology services with the Southeast and the NCCP. NCCP is the National Cancer Control Programme. And um, there's a big transitioning happening, and a lot of the walls that were there previously have broken down over the last three, four months in very difficult times that the, the health system and people have been living in. 
David, thank you very much uh, for sharing those thoughts uh, with us. I have a feeling that this won't be the the last time we had you on last November uh, also on the show. And I have a feeling that there's lots of interesting developments for UPMC in Ireland. Thank you for joining us. That was uh, David Byrne, who's the Vice President of UPMC International and Managing Director of UPMC in Ireland. We're going to be hearing about a really innovative uh, business uh, that started, that had the germs of the idea when the promoter of the business was driving along in a car and listening to KCLR. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie the heart of it all. KCLR. KCLR, John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Now, I mentioned before the break about a lady who got the idea, or at least the germ of an idea, when she was driving along in her car listening to KCLR. Uh, Fiona O'Neill from Jobs for Family Carers joins me. Fiona, tell us about this idea you had. Brilliant. Exactly as you said, I was driving along and heard a job being advertised for 15 hours on your job spot section. Um, For anyone who knows out there, a family carer in Ireland cannot work more than 18 and a half hours in a week. And you're a family carer, Fiona. I am for my son. So that's why I know the struggles of trying to find a job. So when I heard 15 hours on your show, I went, oh my God, that's the perfect job for family carer. But it got me thinking as to how we never hear of jobs that are maybe 15, 16 hours. They're few and far between. And that's where the ball started to roll from. Uh, I started doing a bit of research and pulling all the jobs together that I could find around Ireland, different counties around the country, that would fit a family carer's criteria that they could apply for those jobs. And there's a huge potential market out there because there are at least 390,000 family carers. And and that, I think, is from the census. But there's about 80,000 of them who want to work and who are available to work for those 18 and a half thousand hours per week. What did you do next? Inspiration having struck listening to KCLR. Absolutely. Um, so literally, so uh, to, to, to start it off, it started as a Facebook page, just like I said, finding those um, job, uh, job advertisements from around Ireland and having them all in one spot so the family carers from around Ireland would know where to go to find jobs that they could apply for themselves. So it started as a Facebook page and then a Facebook group stemmed from that. And I've just under, um, I think about 1,400 family carers in a Facebook group at the moment. And again, it's a place for family carers to come and ask other carers that maybe are already working, maybe um, what it's like in the environment at the moment, um, ask questions about maybe the benefits that they have from working. Those kind. So they get to network with other family carers in the Facebook group privately, but have, like I said, to be able to find jobs that they might be able to apply for in their area on the main Facebook page as well. So it, it, it has started to grow um, over the past year, growing to, to an extent that I didn't expect it to grow, and um, just getting even feedback from other family carers saying, God, this is exactly what we needed, and it's stressful enough being a family carer without having to try and do the job searching as well. Yeah, tell um, us about so the challenges. Um, you had your own challenge. You were um, you were working full-time yourself, but, but your son, um, who I think is six or seven, you had to kind of make a, a very tough choice. 
That's it. And a lot of family carers have to make that choice. So I was working full time at the time and it actually got to the stage where I didn't have, you know, the way you'd have maybe 21, 22 days holidays. I didn't have enough holidays to cover all his medical appointments. And I was kind of, I was stuck between a rock and a hard place and a part time and job sharing wasn't available to me. So the decision was either stay working full time or hand in my notice. So I had to make that decision of leaving my job to be able to provide care full time as a family carer for my son. Um, and like I said, there's, there's thousands of family carers across Ireland that have had to make those choices. So they have huge amount of skills that they've maybe they've built up over the last few years or graduated with that they maybe still want to use. Because for a family carer, a job isn't always about the money. It's about you using your skills and being the person you are and meeting new people and getting out of the house. So it's not always about a pay slip when it comes to a job for a, for a family carer. And that was because you couldn't find a place yourself, so you actually set up a place, jobsforfamilycarers.ie. Uh, you mentioned the number of networks that you've got, but you've been, you're now recognised as that category called a social entrepreneur and you've been accepted into the Ideas Academy. That's it, exactly. So a social entrepreneur is someone who is starting a business to make a social change in Ireland. Um, So my social change is for family carers and for family carers to be recognised in the workforce that, um, like I said, that businesses don't realise out there that they have an audience of people who are maybe willing to work 14, 15 hours. It doesn't have to be a 39-hour commitment um, or even a 21 or 22-hour. So even especially with COVID at the moment, um, business that maybe are starting to, to, to come back that they don't have to commit to that huge overhead when it comes to a full-time person that they have an audience of people who are maybe willing to work, like I said, 10, 12, 15 hours. Um, so it's just to include those, the, the family carers in the workforce. So like I said, that's the social change I'm looking for and exactly as you said, so it's Social Entrepreneurs Ireland. Um, so we started that there was 270 people that applied with their idea for the academy. So um, I'm down into the last 60 and there we are, the 60 people are divided up into four groups of 15. So I have my now my group of 15 that for the next four months that I'm going to work with and I get mentorship and guidance and support as to how to grow jobs for family carers nationally. Um, and at the end of the four months, I get to pitch that potentially um, I could get seed funding to be able to bring jobs for family carers further. Uh, because at the moment, this is something that I'm doing purely volunteer. This is, I, I put a few hours every week into to creating this and to making this bigger for for Ireland and for family carers. And tell me, uh, finally, if um, companies are interested because the nature of work is changing so much, how did they get in touch with you to kind of say, yeah, Fiona, I think I've got a job that might be of interest? Oh, excellent. So, like I said, I'm jobsforfamilycares at gmail.com. But like I said, there's Facebook pages there as well, John exactly as it says on the team, jobs for family carers. Um, but definitely, like I said, that's what we want to do is across Ireland to start looking at including family carers in the workforce. Um, because like I said, to, to, a commitment of that overhead at the moment is something a lot of businesses can't can't have, abide by. So to be able to have someone that maybe is willing to work 10, 14, 15 hours um, and to be able to have those family carers included, have the demographic included in the workforce is going to be huge. Fiona, we've got to leave it there, but thank you very much for sharing uh, your story with us. Uh, inspirational and we're delighted at Casey Lord to have had a very small part in the start of what I'm sure will be a great success. That was Fiona O'Neill there from the website jobsforfamilycarers.ie. Do check it out. Sounds great. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for this week. I'd like to thank all my guests, Michael O'Keefe, Noel Richardson, David Byrne, 
Kevin Paul Bean and Fiona O'Neill as you heard there thanks to producer Deirdre Drummy we'll be back with you next Saturday just after the 9 o'clock news don't forget you can listen to the programme on podcast uh, just look for uh, the bottom line KCLR anywhere you get your podcasts and you'll hear all the episodes that we've done over the last year if you'd like to contact the programme with an idea suggestion feedback or whatever you can email us at the bottom line at kclr96fm.com until we speak again thanks for listening stay tuned to kclr have a good weekend and we'll talk to you next saturday the bottom line on kclr with john purcell brought to you in association with o'neill foley accountants our website ons.ie shows the full range of services we provide to businesses large and small